Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Welcome to the Animal Files. We've been talking about shelters and rescue facilities and care facilities and bylaws through all of it. What are bylaws? Break out your notebooks because all of this stuff is really important to keep handy and it'll allow you the opportunity to research in your own municipality which bylaws that you need to follow in your region. So I'm going to let you take it away, Miranda. I'm going to start first of all with just a couple of little bits of history and knowledge that's just kind of interesting. According to Wikipedia, animal protection laws first began in the 13th century when Genghis Khan protected wildlife during breeding season. Ooh, that's interesting. (laughs) You don't hear too many good things based upon Genghis Khan. (laughs) Well, I tried to look for more information to verify that. So I can't say 100% if that's true. On a side note, when I was trying to find a little more information, I found that World Wildlife Fund credits Genghis Khan for being green, Oh, but in a sort of negative way. It's positive from a negative standpoint. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's known as being very violent and creating a lot of deaths. Most of that was (laughs) human-based. Yes. But on the upside of that, (laughs) these millions of deaths that he caused ended up depopulating large areas and created new reforestation for the land. Well, there's always a silver lining, isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) That's something to bank into your useless knowledge bank. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, silver linings, they're good. That first known beginning of animal protection was followed with other laws and opinions in the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s in varying parts of the world. And of course, we talked about in previous episodes about how shelters and humane societies and that started to develop in the 1800s and how things have slowly evolved as we've gone along. So let's talk about the difference between a bylaw and a law. I suspect that probably most people have at least a vague understanding, but I'm just going to clarify it just a little bit more. Okay. A bylaw is a rule that is created and passed by an organization, community, or public body other than a legislature. It's a subcategory of a law and they can add to laws, but they cannot remove laws. Ah, okay. A law, on the other hand, is something that is created and passed by a specific constitutional power. And that cannot be changed without another constitutional power, correct? Right. Okay. At least that's what I understand. It definitely takes a lot more 
effort to change a law than it does to change a bylaw. Yeah, it's almost like an addendum. Mm -hmm. A bylaw is an addendum to the law. Mm -hmm. Good to know. So there's a few different laws in North America that revolve around animals. We're going to go into the protection part of it in just a moment, but there's a difference between animal welfare versus animal rights, which is where the laws and the bylaws kind of develop from. Okay. They're often kind of tied together and maybe some people think they're one and the same, but animal welfare tends to hold the general belief that animals are sentient beings and that their physical and emotional well-being should be taken care of. Animal rights, on the other hand, can involve many beliefs, some being that animals aren't property and shouldn't be used by humans in any way. Okay. There's kind of a similarity, but they're not quite the same. Just for clarification, animal rights would be animals should never be eaten, but animal welfare would be if you're going to raise animals to be eaten, you need to care for them on all levels. So it's like take care of the animals so they're happy and healthy as opposed to stay away. No, it's bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an extreme version, but I guess that would be where the the delineation would be. Right. That makes sense. Whether you're on one side or the other, we can all agree where those two things overlap. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are some federal laws, but many of the laws are actually created through the state or provincial legislation. Some of the laws, like I said, protection laws, we've got the Animal Welfare Act, which is the U.S. federal law. This mainly involves animals that are kept at zoos and used in laboratories, as well as animals who are commercially bred and sold like those in puppy mills. Okay. This act sets the minimum care standards. So it's not necessarily the standards that everybody agrees on. Because they only set the minimum care standards, this really only means that this allows the animal to survive. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to thrive. Okay. Then we have the Criminal Code of Canada. This prohibits anyone from willfully causing animals to suffer from neglect, pain, or injury. We like laws like that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's just sometimes I think it can be challenging to get it enforced to prove what actually went on. Yeah. Because unfortunately with our laws, there has a tendency to be loopholes and whatnot. Yeah. We mentioned a couple episodes ago that there are people that use their roles as power platforms Mm -hmm. and they may use the letter of the law to possibly criminalize people who really aren't doing the harm. Like they go to somebody's house, say they're not very good at cleaning house and they automatically say, nope, that's animal neglect. Right. When in fact it's not, you know, there could be that level too. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. I think these criminal laws are, are very specific Mm -hmm. and hopefully most people um, embrace the spirit of the law and not abuse the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. Next, we have the Animal Protection Act or Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. This one is more in Canada, but each province and possibly state has some version of this. I think here in America, each state has their own laws in concerning that. Mm -hmm. And luckily, they are shifting to be more 
consistent across the nation, Mm -hmm. but it is the states hold the rights to create the laws that they see fit. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on where you're living in this country, but there are some federal laws that cover all states. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they are offhand, but I believe we do have very similar laws that you do in Canada. Yeah. Another thing is that many states and province do prevent owning of wildlife, but unfortunately there are still places that allow it and don't control it very well. Yeah. So those are the main protection laws. And there's other laws that tie into the agriculture and other animals that are not pet animals. I didn't want to go into that today because that's not our wheelhouse quite as much. So So some of the bylaws, laws, and even just generally rules that have developed One of the areas is in the transportation of pets. There's so many people who transport their animals around and carry them with them to the store. And if you don't follow these, you're putting your animal at risk. It's important to know what they are in your area. Mm -hmm. So what are these bylaws, laws, and rules? Because they can span the whole gamut. Yes. So we're going to talk about vehicles and air travel. And then also a bit about if you are going across the border. Okay. With vehicles... It's going to really depend on where you live. Now, there's recommendations, but you're not necessarily going to get fined if you don't abide by them. It's recommended that in the majority of places that if you are traveling with a pet in a vehicle, that they need to be protected. So they either need to be contained in a kennel or crate that can either fit onto the floor of the vehicle or they need to be in a harness or like a baby seat where they are attached to a seatbelt and they're prevented from being able to fly forward. If you get into an accident or if you have to step on the brake suddenly, they're not going to go flying and get injured. Mm -hmm. So there may be some places that do have a bylaw around that. And I'm not aware of where those places might be. I know it's not here where I am, but it is a very strong recommendation. Another really good reason is not just for their safety, it's also for your safety. If you've got particularly a dog that is running from window to window and they're going onto your lap while you're trying to drive, or maybe they run down where your feet are and they interfere with you being able to use the gas and the brake pedals, you could end up with a real disaster. Yeah. And if cop sees you and you have laws in your area about animal abuse, that would be considered animal abuse because you are not protecting the welfare of that animal. Mm -hmm. We cannot be promised that every time we get out in our car and we drive on the roads that we're not going to get into an accident. You can't guarantee that Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with other people on the roads. And if you have an animal that's just wandering around your vehicle and somebody decides to cut you off and you get into an accident, well, guess what? You may lose your animal. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes with people who allow their dogs to stick their head out the window. Mm -hmm. That's animal abuse. Uh, You know, just ride on a motorcycle without a helmet and see what happens and see how it hurts when a bug flies in your face. You know, you could lose an eye. Right. And I've also heard horrible stories of dogs who have ridden loose in the back of a pickup truck. Oh, yeah. That should be like fine right there. Boom. Mm -hmm. And there's two aspects of that. Some people will have them completely loose and they're just running around in the back of the 
pickup truck. Well, if you slam on your brakes or get into an accident, that dog is going to go flying. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Whether they survive, well, maybe. They can also jump out. Like you say you have a hunting dog and they see something on the side of the road, something they're used to chasing. They're going to jump out of that car. Yeah, true. And it may not matter how fast you're going. You could be going 60 kilometers an hour and they might still try to do that. And chances of them surviving that, especially if there's other vehicles on the road, is going to be pretty minimal. But there's also stories of people who have put their dogs on a leash and they've got them on this long leash so that they can kind of move around a little bit. And then again, if the vehicle suddenly stops really fast and the dog flies out of the vehicle, they can strangle to death. Mm. Animals should be in the vehicle restrained, within the body of the vehicle restrained at all times. Well, you can put them in the back of the truck, but make sure you have them in a kennel that is secured is not and is not going to be moving around. Yeah, that's true. You've seen that. Yeah. But still, why can't it be inside the cab of the truck restrained by a seatbelt? Well, it can be kind of difficult. Like some of those pickup trucks don't have a lot of room if you've got a big dog. So it might be kind of hard. <laughs> well, true. But most people who are driving around with their dogs, it's like one person in the truck. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a pickup <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just saying, you know, common sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to do that, unless you are traveling to the vet or you're moving or something like that, and you can't put the animal within the vehicle, just use common sense. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Common sense goes a long way. And if you're putting the animal's needs ahead and the animal's safety is ahead, you're more apt to make better choices. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of places too that now have developed distracted driving laws or bylaws. Mm. I think they're more bylaws and traffic safety acts. So it's a safety issue for you as well as your pet if you're letting them run around the vehicle. But if they're running around the vehicle, it's preventing you from driving properly because you can't fully pay attention to what you're doing with your driving. So you're more likely to make a judgment error because maybe they block your view and you can't see that a vehicle has stopped in front of you suddenly, or maybe that another animal has run in front of you or whatever the case may be. So it's just a key thing to really keep in mind to protect both you and your pet, keep them restrained to keep you both safe. Agreed. So let's talk about air travel. This has also a lot of challenges with it. Yeah, it does. (laughs) There was a horrible story that happened a while back that I will talk about briefly. But with air travel, this is one where it's not specifically a law or a bylaw, but it's regulations. Okay. And if you think that I want to travel to another state or... I want to go from North America to Australia or something like that or whatever. Hopefully you wouldn't go that far with your pet unless you're moving there. Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) But anytime you are thinking about traveling to a place where you're choosing to fly, it's not as simple as just booking the flight and being like, okay, my dog is going with me. My cat is going with me. There's a lot of other things that have to be in place to make sure that they're being kept safe and that you're also abiding by the rules and bylaws of other jurisdictions. So one of the biggest things 
is a lot of these pets cannot travel in the cabin with you and they end up getting put into cargo. That's always scared me. Yeah. Just the idea of having my animal in cargo always scared me. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as bad as where the luggage is stored, but I think that it's not as temperature controlled as it could be. It's not going to be comfortable for them. It's probably going to be really noisy. There's going to be all these different smells and sounds and unfamiliar environment and everything that's going on with them being in this space. And it can be really, really stressful for them. Plus, because of the temperature and that, it might be really hard for them to physically deal with those environmental aspects. And then add on the insecurity of not having their human with them. Mm-hmm. It's emotionally draining as well, because they don't understand that their owner is just above in the cabin. Mm-hmm. They just know they're in this cold, empty space with other noises. You know, think about it through their eyes. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a dog in cargo. I wouldn't want to be a cat in cargo. Yeah. I don't even want to picture it. (laughs) (laughs) It breaks my heart. Um, So let's continue. (laughs) (laughs) There are certain times of the year where airlines will not even allow animals to fly because the temperature outside and the temperature in the cargo puts the animal at great risk, especially If there's the risk of freezing or something that occurs, which I don't know how many planes fly if it gets that cold, but if it's 45 degrees Fahrenheit or 7.2 degrees Celsius, then the animal needs to receive an acclimation certificate from your veterinarian to say that this animal can or has acclimized to these temperatures and they can handle it. Now, just because they can handle it doesn't mean that they should have to. Exactly. (laughs) On the other hand, if the temperatures are really hot, if it's 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 29.5 degrees Celsius or warmer, then the airlines will not fly the animals. They will not allow them to go no matter what, or at least they shouldn't. (laughs) That's like the key. At least they shouldn't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I couldn't say if all airlines are on board with that, but I think that they're supposed to be. (laughs) And I'm just going to go briefly into the story I was alluding to earlier. There was a story a while back about, I think it was from Ukraine. There was a huge cargo load of 50 or so puppies that were being shipped from Ukraine to Canada, I think. It was a great distance. Anyways, it was to a completely different continent. And these puppies were like only around eight weeks old. They were really young. They never had any vet checks or certificate or anything like that done to verify their health. They were crammed together into these small crates. By the time they got to their destination, there was a number of them that had died. Aww, poor puppies. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions around that story that kind of pertain to this. First of all, why were 50 puppies being shipped in a big cargo load at once? If this was a reputable breeder, reputable business, that wouldn't be happening. That suggests more that it was a puppy mill. Mm. Secondly, why did the airline not question anything, not make sure that the proper paperwork was in place and that these dogs were being shipped in a safe way? 
because most airlines require specific types of carriers to be used. There's supposed to be a certain amount of space for each animal to be able to comfortably stand up and turn around. Mm -hmm. None of that was taken into consideration. So, you know, what happened? Some airlines don't view animals the same as some of the major ones. Mm. Maybe it was a smaller airline. Maybe they hadn't gotten to that level of awareness that a lot of airlines are coming to nowadays. Mm -hmm. Or the airline was not aware of what was being shipped. Mm, That's a possibility. And maybe there is also a lack of education because the staff that were immediately involved were not trained to know what to ask and look for. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that could be airlines are still learning and growing today like everybody else is. So various airlines are going to have various regulations and some may still deem them as property and not sentient and others may say, sure, buy a seat. You can have your Husky in the cabin. You know, it could be that extreme. Obviously, I don't know if there's any airlines that actually allow that, but (laughs) you know, that extreme exists. Well, actually, there are a couple of airlines that I found out about that are dedicated exclusively to pets. Oh, really? Yay! Yeah. It's not for humans at all. It's kind of like two layers, like one sort of like one shelf higher and then the lower level, but it's basically a cabin for them. And it's so that their carriers can fit in there. And then they've got actual animal health techs and vets that are involved with that and do regular checks to make sure that the animals are doing okay and getting water and and things like that. See, we're evolving. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So as we were talking about whether or not your pet is going to go into cargo or not, your pet has to be pretty small, basically cat size, because they'd have to be able to fit underneath the seat. You can't actually buy a quote unquote human seat for your pet. They have to be in a carrier and the carrier has to be able to fit underneath the seat for the animal to be in the cabin. And even with that, it's not a guarantee that they'll be allowed in the cabin. Always check with your airline before yeah. you fly. Get all of the regulations, understand the whole process. I think in your travel research, that should be number one on your list if you are going to be traveling with your animal. Mm-hmm. So definitely talk to your veterinarian, talk to your airline, and also research where you're going. You need to find out what their laws, bylaws, regulations, and that are because certain animals will not be allowed in other areas. But before we go into that part, there is an age restriction as well for traveling. This is a federal regulation. So this is not even just something that the airline insists on. Your pets have to be at least eight weeks old, and they have to have been weaned at least five days before flying. Mm -hmm. That's very specific. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess they must have found out that there's maybe more risk of problems developing if they're younger than that. I'm not sure. Of course, the wean at least five days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It is. (laughs) I'm not quite sure how that evolved, but hey, it's there. (laughs) Going back to When you're traveling from one province to another or one state to another, or you're going across the border, even if you're within the same country, 
not all states have the same allowance for animals. You know, here in Alberta, owning a rat as a pet is illegal. Are there other provinces in Canada where it is not? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So if you are flying from, say, Ontario, and you go to Alberta, and you're moving the rat, I'm not saying that Ontario allows rats, but if if they did, right, the pet <laughs> that you had in Ontario, you would not be able to have in Alberta. No, and I mean, some people will try to sneak it anyways, but if you're caught, you're going to be forced to give it up. And probably find quite a bit. Probably. Yeah, definitely do your research. Traveling across any state line, province line, and especially borders, they're going to have more strict laws and regulations when it comes to animals. Mm-hmm. You know, a disease may not exist in one country or the other, and you cross the border, they don't want you to bring anything with you. Mm-hmm. So let's go into that and then we'll go to break. So I'll just do a quick run through here. When you're going across the border, this is not just if you're flying. It doesn't matter if you're driving or you're going by boat or however it is that you might be getting across the border. Pretty much you're going to be required to have a health certificate from an accredited vet to prove that your animal is healthy and that they're not harboring any kind of disease that could be spread. Yeah. Like my cat being feline leukemia virus positive would not be accepted in another country Mm -hmm. because that is a highly contagious virus. If perchance something was to happen, I would be bringing in a virus that can pose a danger to other animals. Mm -hmm. So my animal needs to stay in the U.S. Right. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And as I was talking about earlier, certain types of animals are not allowed in some countries, states or provinces, or even specific jurisdictions. So you could even go from one city to another and have completely different rules Mm. about pets. So you really need to look into it. I mean, if you're going from one city to another, chances of being caught if you're only there for a short period of time is probably minimal. But if you are planning to move, then you want to look into it because you don't want to be caught having an animal that you're not allowed to have. You need to have proof of vaccinations if you're going across the border. And rabies is mandatory, I think, pretty much across the board, no matter which country you're going into. Yeah, because that can run rampant. Mm -hmm. And this last one is something that is really important to consider, because if you're going to another country, there's a high chance that they're going to require your pet to to be quarantined. And the length of time can vary, but it could even be up to like two or three months before you're even allowed to see your pet. Well, they might allow you to see them perhaps, but before they're allowed to go home with you or wherever it is that you're staying. Especially if you're going to a non-landlocked country. Mm. Even though there's definitely going to be laws between, say, in here in North America, between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Even within the U.S., if you were to go to Hawaii, you would have to quarantine your animal Mm -hmm. because it's a very sensitive environment. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of things to think about if you want to travel with your animal. Yeah, it is. So... But if you really think about it, it's all common sense. Mm -hmm. If you take your subjective beliefs and views out of the picture and just look at it as just this conceptual argument, it makes a lot of sense. You don't want to be transferring things back and forth to different states, countries, provinces. So just (laughs) put in your research, 
protect yourself as well as your animal. Mm -hmm. Do what you need to do. If you are looking at it objectively, it'll be easier to make the best decisions for your family and your animal. On that note, we are going to go to break. We'll see you in a bit. We hope you've been enjoying our show. Our listeners are very important to us, and we want to not only give animals a voice, but we want to give you a voice as well. So Miranda and I have created a community on Facebook to help us do just that. We would love for you to join us and let us know what questions and topics you'd like to know more about and what you feel is important to you and your animal. So pop on over to Facebook and search for the Animal Files community. You can join in the conversation so we can all give animals a voice. We are talking about bylaws and laws and what that means for you and your animal. This half, we're going to talk about some of the mostly municipality bylaws that you're going to need to be aware of. Make sure you get your notebooks out and let's start learning. What are some of these things that we need to know? How many of you are renters of an apartment or a part of a house, or maybe you own a condo, or maybe you're thinking of doing one of these things? Mm. How many of you are aware of some of the rules that could be applying to these places? Especially if they're privately owned. Oh, Mm -hmm. they can do what they want. Right. There can be a lot of rental places that have restrictions on the type of animals that you can have in the suite that you're in. And not just the type of animal, but also the size, how much noise that animal might make, and how many of these pets you might have altogether. For example, here in Alberta, legally in Alberta, or legally in, I should say, Edmonton, you are allowed generally up to three dogs and six cats. But if you are in a rental place, they're not going to allow you to have three dogs and six cats. Mm. I guarantee it. (laughs) Probably they won't even allow you to have two cats. (laughs) Well, or it depends on where you're renting from. It does depend. And of course, there are some places that won't even allow cats. And a lot of these rules have developed because of irresponsible people. Well, it could be irresponsible people, but it could also be a lack of understanding. So then you end up having behavior issues or challenges with the animal that can cause things like peeing outside of the litter box, for example, or a lot of barking. You know, if a cat is peeing outside of the litter box and it soaks into the carpet or depending on the kind of register you have, if you've got like one of the floor registers and the pee goes down there. This can create a lot of damage. This could cause them to have to completely replace the carpet if the scent is really strong and if you're not able to get rid of the scent of the the urine. Landlords don't want to have to incur these expenses every time somebody has a pet, nor do they want to have to deal with complaints of people saying, oh, well, that dog was barking incessantly or something like that. So in order to try to protect themselves and protect themselves from headaches and the costs, They create these regulations, which makes it more difficult for other people who are more responsible and more willing to try to understand their animals so that there isn't behavior challenges. That's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. I went off on my tangent the other day where I think that you should just pay (laughs) extra for security, but that's my belief. I have not 
been an irresponsible pet owner. I've always been a responsible pet owner and every place I've lived, I've always had an animal, but I've never had the damage that occurs when you are irresponsible. So I have a little bit of a biased Mm. opinion regarding that, but I can understand the cost that it could take to eliminate those scents and the damage caused by an animal. I had a neighbor years ago that had dogs, very misbehaved dogs. They were peeing on the walls and they were Mm. eating the walls and eating the doors. It was horrible. And when I think about that, luckily the building has been sold and completely renovated since then. But I'm assuming that that landlord had thousands of dollars of damage Mm -hmm. that they had to take care of. And it's probably why they were never able to rent the apartment Mm -hmm. after those people left. Mm -hmm. So I get the liability involved. I mean, these landlords have to protect themselves. And not only that, they have to protect their other tenants. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have a tenant that's going to give them a bad review or a tenant that's going to be miserable and give them more headaches. So it it all makes sense. I have my subjective opinion, Mm -hmm. but I also can see the other side. And I think most people, at least those who have rented on a regular basis, have the awareness that these regulations exist in these rental facilities. But I don't think that a lot of people are aware that these same regulations could potentially exist in condo units. Yeah, even if you purchase the condo unit, yeah. because technically you may have purchased the unit, but you're leasing the space. Mm-hmm. That's what those home ownership fees are all about. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's really critical for you to read the rules and the bylaws of the condo board and really understand what you are allowed and what you are not allowed, because they could evict you even if you own the unit. Now, I don't know if the same rules apply if you're in a townhouse. I think that's a little I think bit they different. do. It might be a little bit different, but it but you still have to pay ownership fees and there's still a board involved. Yes. I mean, it's probably a little bit more lax. Yeah, I don't think they're as strict with the animal side of it. But. Probably not. Now, whether you're renting or in a condo, if you have a service animal, now I know it's the case here. I couldn't say for sure whether this is the requirement in all places, but here, if you have a service animal, they have to be accepted by the landlords as long as the animals are controlled. So you still have to be responsible if you have a service animal. If you're going to let them out of control and let them do damage, well, then the landlord or condo board still could potentially evict you. Or not even let you apply or accept you as a tenant. So that might be part of their requirements for you to rent or own in their space. Right. I mean, if they're going to try to say that, no, you can't come in with a service animal, then they have to be able to base that on something. Yes, exactly. Because then you go into the disability discrimination. Exactly. Now, we kind of talked about this a long while ago, the difference between service animals, therapy animals, and emotional support animals. They are not all the same. No, (laughs) no, 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 they are not. (laughs) Even though service animals are generally supposed to be accepted, therapy and emotional support animals do not have to be. No. There's a story of someone I know. She ended up getting an emotional support animal. She did not ask her landlord if she could have this animal. 
And her argument was, oh, well, my neighbor has an emotional support animal or service animal or whatever it was. She's allowed to have it, then I should be allowed to have it. So there was no communication. It was complete assumption. And the landlord basically told her that she was going to be evicted and gave her a certain amount of notice. She went to go fight it at court. I'd have no idea whether she won or not, but at any rate. <laughs> yeah, well, the landlord could do whatever you want. It's his property. I'm a big believer in transparency. And if you are not being forthcoming, and if you just assume, you're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. Because number one, if you're assuming, there is a selfish aspect to that, like an entitlement aspect to that that may not be looked kindly upon by your landlord. Mm -hmm. So whether it's an entitlement or whether it's just an assumption, it could be an innocent assumption. But still, if you are not transparent and you do not talk to your landlord who is paying for the building that you live in, you're going to run into some issues. Mm -hmm. And another thing you need to be aware of, if somebody owns a condo unit and rents it out to you, it doesn't matter whether the owner of the condo says you can have an animal or not. The condo boards and bylaws prevail. Yeah. And it could end up getting the person who's renting you that space kicked out. Yeah. And they're not even living there. Yeah. So make sure that if you are going to rent a unit from somebody who owns a condo, make sure you get a copy of those condo bylaws. Yeah. And that includes sublets too. Yes. That's a whole different ball of wax. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's go into roaming bylaws. <laughs> I will rein myself in here. <laughs> if you've listened to us long enough, you all know where Miranda and I stand when it comes to roaming animals. <laughs> this might give you a little bit of an idea about why we have a problem with them. Mm -hmm. So take it away. <laughs> Let's give them the goods. <laughs> Depending on where you live, and again, make sure you are checking into all of these. But depending on where you live, some places will seize and penalize or give you a fine for animals that are found loose in rural areas. And this could be pets or other animals. So it could be horses, it could be cows, whatever it might be. But basically, you need to be responsible for keeping control over any of the animals that you have. This might fall under the animal welfare laws. Could be, yeah. Because a roaming animal is not being well taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many acreages that I've seen around here where they have dogs and there's no fencing or anything. So the dogs are just allowed to just run free out on the acreage. Maybe they have the electronic fencing or something like that. I couldn't say, but... There just doesn't really seem like there's anything to prevent them from running off the acreage and going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, typically livestock are contained in pastures and that. Unless there's a broken fence. You may be penalized for not having proper regulations for your fencing. Right. Depending on the municipality. We kind of talked about this a little bit before. Some places allow for cats to roam, but they are not allowed to be on private properties. <laughs> It just cracks me up. <laughs> oh, I'm a cat. I'm not allowed to remove myself from the sidewalk. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so silly. Oh, gosh. Okay. Let's continue. We never said that all of the bylaws and laws in this world actually make sense, but <laughs> no, some of them don't. <laughs> Especially when you look but at some there. of the really old 
old ones from years, I know, years ago or whatever. <laughs> whether they make sense or not, you still need to be aware of yes. them. So that's basically what this whole show is about. So you guys can know what questions to ask and what to look for within your municipality, within your state, within your province, within your country. Mm -hmm. Jumping off of the not going on to private properties, cats that are causing damage or creating a nuisance could be seized. Mm -hmm. You know, that's another reason why you don't want cats to be roaming because they can go into other people's gardens and dig up their plants or their produce or whatever, because they like to scratch. So they could end up scratching your nice wooden chair that's sitting outside or something like that. Well, there's all these different things they can do that, you know, it's not the cat's fault. They're being cats. It's normal behavior for them. But you are responsible if your cat is causing damage to somebody else's property. And if you don't pay attention to that, you could lose your animal. Yes. Because you can't prove that they're yours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who don't get the microchip and the tags and because they don't want to be responsible for paying for a license and that type of thing. Keep your cats inside. Mm -hmm. It's better for them. It's healthier for them and it's better for the neighborhood and the environment. Episodes and episodes ago, I don't know, months ago, probably sometimes last year, we talked about how roaming cats can also disrupt the ecosystem Mm -hmm. of an area because they are killers. So they might kill the natural flora and fauna of the area Mm -hmm. if it's endangered. So Mm -hmm. Be aware of that. And if you are a multi-offender by letting your animals roam, oh, that's another layer on top of that. Mm -hmm. Something to keep in mind. (laughs) Don't let your animals roam, period. (laughs) And most places will require dogs to be kept on a leash when they're outside the home. If it's not within the backyard, an enclosed backyard Mm -hmm. that is secured. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like a dog park where that's contained. Most dog parks have a caged in area where they can run around and play. Mm, Not around here, but. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, our our dog parks, most of them are uh, fenced. Oh, really? There's an area where they can be fenced and be off leash. Mm -hmm. Now, I know here I see a lot of people who will take their dogs to a schoolyard and let their dogs run around in the schoolyard. Here, that's technically against the law, and they can get fined for that. Personally, I don't see anything wrong with that as long as the school is not in session at that time and there's no mm-hmm. kids running around as it's like after school hours. I don't see a problem with using a schoolyard. It seems like a good place to have a dog run around. But unless you are irresponsible pet owner and you don't clean up after your animal. Well, yes, there is that part. That could also factor in. But even so, it is a bylaw in a lot of places, or at least it is here. So you can still get a fine regardless of how you might feel about the bylaw. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. If you go against a bylaw and you get a fine and you were well aware, you can't really complain about the fine. No, you can't. Because then you end up in the entitled category and that's (laughs) not a good look for you. (laughs) All right. So let's go into the ownership bylaws, because this is something that I think a lot of people need to know as well. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of these should be common sense if you're a responsible person, but maybe not. You know, one thing I've really learned is that common sense tends to not be very common. And I don't know. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) 
And I guess it all depends on sort of where you grow up and what conditioning and beliefs and that are around where you grew up, how you grew up in that too. So I guess we can't make the assumption that it's common sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what you know. Yeah. Hopefully if you are a regular listener to the show, when you learn something new, you can be better mm -hmm. because when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. And this is all about protecting the animals. This is not about following the letter of the man. You know, this is all about the laws that were put in place by man to protect your animals and to protect the areas in which you live. Mm -hmm. And that's the important takeaway here. Right. This is all for the greater good. Mm -hmm. If you feel slighted by any of these, then maybe you need to check yourself because in the grand scheme of things, this keeps your animals safer. Mm -hmm. Just keep that in mind. And if you have suggestions on the, what you think might be better for not just you and your animal, but animals in general, talk to your um, counselor or somebody and, and make the suggestion and they can go forward and possibly bring that forward to make some changes. Yeah. But do it the right way. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So the first one is controlling barking to prevent disturbance of others. This doesn't mean yelling at your dog and punishing them for barking as a way of trying to control barking. This is about understanding your dog, understanding the reasonings behind it and taking the appropriate positive action to reduce the barking and help your dog to feel more comfortable so they don't feel the need to be continually barking. Yeah, because most dogs bark out of warning or stress. Mm -hmm. So if you take away those triggers, they're going to be barking less. It's just the nature of the animal. Mm -hmm. Know your animal, learn your animal, find out what is causing the barking behavior and then do what you need to do to mitigate that. Mm -hmm. It's also a responsibility to clean up after your animal when outside the home. Now, I know not all places in the world have that requirement, but they should. I think it's still a responsibility. I remember when I went to Holland in the one area that I was at, there was poop all over the place. Mm. So it was obviously not a bylaw there, a requirement. So you had to really watch where you were stepping. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned keeping your dogs on a leash, except when they are at a designated off-leash area, preventing access to private properties without permission. Mm -hmm. So this could be a challenge too, because the front yard of a house is technically private property. Although I don't know what it's like in New York, but here in Edmonton, there's like a very small section at the very beginning of the lawn that's close to the sidewalk that does not belong to the owner of the home. It belongs to the city. Mm. Yeah. We own to the sidewalk. So if there's any grassy area past that sidewalk, we don't own that. Even if it's near our house, even if it's two feet from our house, we don't own that. Yeah. Well, with us, it's kind of like you'll get to the front lawn and then you get to a spot on the front lawn where it ends. And then you have like maybe about a meter up to the sidewalk oh. that is owned by the city. Yeah. It's a little different here. Yeah. And then whatever is past any lawn that is past the sidewalk on the other side was also by the city. Yeah. But you still have to maintain it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how that applies exactly with when, you know, you're walking your dog because how many dogs decide to go to the bathroom on the lawn of a home as they're walking? They don't like to go on hard substrates like sidewalks and stuff. They want to go somewhere soft and there isn't always grass on the other side. 
So it's probably just something to pay attention to. Yeah. You know, and make sure you clean up after the dog as soon as possible, get them off the lawn as soon as possible, just to try to avoid any conflict. It's also important to maintain licensing if there's licensing in your jurisdiction. So I think most places require licensing for cats and dogs. We also have licensing for pigeons here if they're a pet. So if they have like a pigeon coop on top of a building or something like that. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. No, I think this one's kind of a no brainer. Preventing your dog from biting anyone. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) common sense. Are you noticing a theme here? They're all common sense. (laughs) Obviously, if a dog is a biter, It's a nuisance to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And if it continues and is a repeat offender, that dog will be seized and may even be put down. Mm -hmm. So you need to do what you need to do to make sure that your dog is not biting Mm -hmm. anybody. And this is particularly critical when you go to an off-leash area. You need to really know your dog and know that they're not going to react to other dogs or to other people. And that's not always the case. I've heard stories where dogs have been reactive for whatever reason and have gotten into fights with another dog or have bitten another person. And this is also a really good reason why you need to keep your dogs on a short leash when you're walking. Don't have them on one of those extended leashes because you have no control over them when you have those. Mm -hmm. You know, that's fine if you are like in a big field and there's nobody around. But if you're walking down the sidewalk in your neighborhood, keep them on a short leash and maintain control over them. Yeah. And those retractable leashes aren't necessarily the best leashes because they break. Mm. They break often. And if you don't believe me, do your research. There's a lot of stories out there with faulty retractable leashes that ended up in animals being hit by cars, Mm. getting into fights running away because they pull too hard. And especially if you have larger breeds, do not use a retractable leash with larger breeds. Anything above 40 pounds. Well, unless you have a pit bull because they're really strong. Yes. But anything above 40 pounds, retractable leash is extremely risky. Mm -hmm. You just want to keep your animal controlled and safe at all times. Mm -hmm. You need to know in your jurisdiction, how many dogs and cats and possibly other pets as well, that you are allowed to have on the premises that you live on. Mm -hmm. Just because in Edmonton, we have the three dogs, six cats, that doesn't mean that's going to be the same across the board. Some places may only allow you to have one, who knows? So you need to look into that and find out what the regulation is for where you live. Yeah. Common sense, research, and knowledge. And you need to know what limits there might be to the types of animals you can own. So that kind of goes back to if you are moving from one place to another, you might be allowed certain types of animals where you currently are, but that might not be the same wherever it is that you move to. We got a lot of information here and I hope you guys are taking notes. We have a few more laws we would like to cover before we close for today. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything left with the ownership bylaws or can we go into these other ones? I just wanted to add 
And this is kind of like for all of these bylaws that we're talking about. Ignorance isn't an excuse. No, it is not. So you need to make sure that you do your due diligence to find out and learn about the laws and the bylaws in your area. Yeah. So let's go to the other laws that they may encounter depending on their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So the first one is breeding laws. Now, this is a very kind of a touchy one, in my opinion. Because I think there's a lot of places that don't have any legislation regarding breeding. I think most places are against the puppy mills and the cat mills, but they're still very difficult to control and regulate at this point. Mm -hmm. I don't think the laws are strict enough in regards to how animals are handled in that way. My belief is if you're going to breed an animal, you must be licensed. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for anybody to breed an animal if they do not have the knowledge necessary and the licensing necessary to do it responsibly. Mm -hmm. My opinion, but I'm going to stick with it. Mm -hmm. Do not breed your animal if you do not know what the hell you're doing. I agree completely. Now, there are some places that are a little bit more on board with that, and they will require you to spay and neuter your pet if you are not a licensed breeder. Good. And I applaud those places. Yes. Clap, clap, clap. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to selling animals, that again is a very touchy area. Yeah. And I hope you're proud of me. I am kind of reining myself in here because I can get on a ton of soapboxes, but I'll keep my opinions small. I think there's still a great deal of places around the world where dogs and cats and other kinds of pets are being sold and people don't know where these animals are coming from. I know there, there's been a lot of cases where these animals have come from puppy mills and kitten mills, you know, so a lot of these pet stores are completely unethical where they get their animals from. Some of them do get them from breeders though, but there was this one story I came across that says Montreal recently created a bylaw that prevents pet stores from selling animals obtained from breeders and requires their animals to be obtained from shelters. Oh, that's a good law. Shelter animals need to find homes. You don't need to make more of them. Now, this bylaw is starting to spread to other cities, but a number of stores are ignoring this bylaw because they feel that it's going against their rights. (gasps) Shame on them. (laughs) (laughs) And they've got a lawyer. This lawyer is claiming that this bylaw is going to push people to buy from puppy mills and online if these pet stores cannot sell animals a little passive aggressive there (laughs) well hopefully you our listeners will help the cause by boycotting these stores that try to sell animals Uh, don't buy your animals yes at all and if you want to buy an animal go to a reputable licensed breeder and then get your animal spayed or neutered yes the onus really falls on the people who want to have these animals in the first place pet stores will not be able to survive and sell these animals if people don't buy them yep that's true we have a small store really close to me that i used to pass by all the time and i'm like i don't there's something wrong with this picture here come to find out the person running it 
was under investigation mm. and then was arrested for animal cruelty. Oh, wow. And so the shop was shut down. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. Some of these people, they're just in it for the money. They don't care about the animals. Mm-hmm. And these animals are not being treated properly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of horror stories. So I am 100% for boycotting yes. any establishment that sells animals. Mm-hmm. Animals should not be used to make a profit, in my opinion. No, not at all. Now, the next law is around vaccines. And we already basically covered that, that in most countries and jurisdictions, animals must be vaccinated for rabies and proof is required if you're crossing the border. The last one, though, is your animal may be required to be microchipped and have appropriate tags when they're in certain jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So even though it's something you might not want to pay for or think is needed, you need to check your area and find out. Because you could get fined if you're found out. Mm -hmm. And another note on the whole vaccine things, there are a lot of jurisdictions that require vaccines for all animals. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% in favor of that because they're forcing people to over-vaccinate their animals. But it is something to be aware of. Right. And know that if you don't get your animals their rabies vaccine and you're found out, you'll be paying a fine. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind that what we talked about today is not all encompassing. This is not going to be every single bylaw that could exist. So this is where you have to do your own due diligence and look into the bylaws and the laws that exist in your area and wherever it is that you might go and travel to with your animal. Yes. And remember, this is all about the big picture. This is all about the safety and protection of your neighborhood, your animal, and even you. It may not seem like it. But be sure that when you are doing your research, you are looking at it with an objective perspective. When you do that, you will see that these are actually there to protect and to serve the chemo at the best of their ability. They're not just put into play willy nilly. They're not just somebody writing a law because they want to have a power hungry control over something. There is a big picture involved. And if you can just take a step back and look at it from that perspective, you will see the validity of these bylaws. You will see the validity of these laws, and it'll be a lot easier to follow them. That's my final thought. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you found this helpful and this information will help keep you and your animals safe, happy, and fine free. (laughs) 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 Yeah. You'll be able to keep some of that green in your pocket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'll be able to keep your animal home with you. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, some of these, if they're not followed, will end in seizure of your animal. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. We don't want families broken up because people are refusing to follow the laws. The animals deserve to have you. So just step up for them. Be responsible and protect them. And with that, I guess we're done for this week. lot of information i hope you were able to catch all that or you wrote some of that down if you need more clarification you can email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com you can join our facebook group the animal files community you can follow our facebook page the animal files official and we also have a twitter page which is the animal files So there's plenty of ways for you to reach out and to get clarification. 
have a wonderful rest of your week and we will see you back here next week. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.